Professionals webinar. My name is Kieran Taylor and I'm part of the BCCT Young Professionals group who help to organize and facilitate events like these. <clears throat> As a group, we really enjoy bringing diverse and interesting events to the young professionals and emerging leaders of the Thai and, business, uh, Thai and British business community here in Bangkok. Um, so it's really a pleasure to bring this event to you today. Um, just a quick note before we start uh, that we're currently looking for new members to join our group. Uh, so if you think it might be something you're interested in, uh, please do get in touch with us. Um, just a reminder that there will be a Q&A session at the end of the presentation, um, but you can type in your questions into the chat box function uh, through Zoom during any point uh, during the presentation. Um, unfortunately, we cannot take any questions from those viewing through Facebook Live. Um, so <clears throat> today's webinar um, is all about the importance of sleep and how to beat insomnia. Sleep, like nutrition and physical activity, is crucial for good health and well-being. Insomnia is characterized by the inability to fall asleep or the inability to stay asleep, and not getting sufficient sleep can drastically disrupt a person's life, affecting their health, both physically and mentally. So in today's webinar, we'll understand the importance of getting sufficient sleep and learning ways to reduce the chances of insomnia from our speaker, Dr. Te Dr. Ketchai Soansi. So Dr. Ketchai is a doctor of neurology, medical director at the Vitalife Scientific Wellness Center, and a cognitive and behavioral neurologist at Bumangrad International Hospital. Dr. Ketchai has 25 years of experience in the medical field. He's a board certified cognitive and behavioral neurologist who completed his research fellowship at the University of Florida. His directorship at the Vitalife Scientific Wellness Center specializes in cognitive and behavioral neurology and Alzheimer's disease. So thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Ketchai, on what is a fascinating subject that really does affect everyone uh, here. Um, so with that, I will hand over to your presentation. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your uh, great introduction and uh, uh, thank you for having me here. So uh, let's start. So today, as Kieran mentioned, that sleep is one of the main problems worldwide. Uh, uh, when I go and have uh, give lectures or talks in the public uh, from uh, doctors, Whatever I'm talking about, about the brain, uh, most of the questions are about sleep. So I think sleep is one of the most common uh, uh, problems uh, for the population. We estimate that uh, worldwide, there's about 30% of the population that has sleep problems. And maybe 10% has a chronic insomnia, which is having effect on their uh, daily life. So, um, and, and then, and as we know that people talk about sleeping pills, and we know that in long term that that's not that's not the answer. So today we're going to talk about uh, all aspects of sleep, how important is sleep, and uh, what we can do to 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 beat insomnia. Just add the headlines here. Okay, so let's start here. Well, uh, this gentleman is is a New Yorker. Uh, in 1959, uh, he was a famous uh, DJ in the States. Uh, he's 32 years old. His name is, is Peter Tripp. Uh, at that time, he was, he was wondering that uh, how long could we not sleep continuously. So uh, he talked with some scientists, some doctors uh, that he knows, and then he tried to set a record. 
uh, the aim was about 200 hours, which is about eight days. And he wants to see that if he, he doesn't sleep at all for eight consecutive days, what will happen to himself, his life, or in both short-term and long-term. So there were uh, staffs that uh, uh, observed him doing his sleep to make sure that he didn't have any little naps, or we call them micro-sleep or micro-naps. Uh, so what happened was, after day two, day three, his attention started to drop down a little bit, and then he got irritated uh, easily. He looks quite irritable. And uh, finally, on day four, day five, he had some hallucinations, some uh, delusions. And then after day seven, day eight, day, uh, sorry, day, day six, day seven, he found that it was very, very difficult to stay awake, but, but somehow he managed to, to reach 200 hours, which is a bit more than eight days. Now, uh, after that, uh, let's, let's see what happened to his career. The first thing is that uh, after a while, he got fired from his job. Uh, so he lost his, his very, very highly reputed job at that time. He got four divorces after that. And then finally, uh, he, I mean, his, his, his personality, his behavior was not, not, not the same as before. So, so that is what happened to, to Peter Tripp when he tried to have uh, just a single sleep deprivation test uh, for that eight days. But usually as a DJ, his sleep is not that good. That, that, that's why he wondered that, could he stay asleep longer than that he's staying regularly at work each night? So the answer is, uh, it had some effects to his, his life, uh, obviously. He died of stroke uh, at the age of 72, but uh, his life was not that successful after that, that, that uh, uh, experiment. So that is the first example I'd like to show you now. I'd like to compare with this little young man. Uh, six years later, after the trip experiment, uh, this, this Teenager at that time, he was 17 years old. Uh, he's Randy Gardner. He he would like to 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 break uh, Trip's record, and at that time, Guinness Book of Records were were interested in this topic. That is about who can survive and uh, not survive, but uh, who can can not sleep as long as possible. I mean, uh, as a world record. But now, just just for information, that after this Randy. Gardner uh, uh, record. Uh, they just did not do any records like that anymore because they believe that it's harmful to your health. So there's no uh, long sleep record anymore. Now, um, I'm sorry, the battery is well. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just battery. Yes. Battery. Okay. Um, so now back to, to Randy Gardner. Uh, in 1965, there were three biggest headlines uh, in, in, in the States at that year. The first, the biggest headline was uh, the assassination of Kennedy. The second, uh, second hit was uh, the, uh, the Beatles. The Beatles arrived in the States, I think, for the first time at that time. And um, as a Liverpool supporter, I'm a Beatles fan as well. <laughs> uh, and the third, Biggest news of that year was Randy Gardner broke the 
record of sleep uh, deprivation. Uh, so Randy Kardner got about 11 days without sleep at all. What happened was uh, during that bout, he also had hallucinations, he also had uh, uh, attention problems, memory impairment during that period. But, um, okay. could you hear me? Hello? Could you still hear me? Yes, we can still hear okay. you. So, um, uh, what happened during the test was almost the same as, as, uh, as, as Peter Tripp, but the difference is that after that, uh, Randy Gardner can spend his life almost normally, no consequence at all. He can use his life normally, he can uh, play chess and win his colleagues, uh, I mean, beat his colleagues all the time, and he did not have much problem. I'm just showing these two cases that about the answer whether if you don't sleep, would there be a big consequence or not? In general, we know now that yes, definitely. But just to let you know that there are some points or some little details that we still don't know why Randy Gardner was fine after even not sleeping 11 days comparing to, to trip. Okay, so we'll know today that why each person is different in terms of sleep. Okay, now the first question uh, about sleep, the most common question is, uh, how many hours do you need? You can see from this uh, slide that um, when we were born, uh, we, 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 we slept a lot. You, you can remember, you can see your kids, right? You can remember yourself. Uh, you sleep 16, 18 hours a day, right? And then gradually it's lesser and lesser. And then when we reach uh, young adults, the standard time is around seven hours. So a simple answer is approximately seven hours. There are many researchers that show that uh, if you sleep less than five hours a day, uh, that would be a problem to your general health. It would affect your lifespan, that you would increase your mortality rate, increased risk of heart attack, increased risk of obesity, increased risk of diabetes, okay, even cancer. We'll talk about that later, about these points. But uh, there are many things that was uh, at first unexpected that, that it's gonna relate with, with uh, poor sleep. But actually, so, so this shows that sleep is, is so, so important, more important than we, we thought before, okay? Now, what happens during sleep? Why sleep is so important? Well, brain-wise, a lot of things happen. A lot of things happen during sleep. We think that, okay, at sleep, uh, about uh, 60 years ago, when, when sleep medicine was not that popular, uh, we don't know much about sleep. We thought that when we sleep, it's just about resting our body, resting our brain. But after sleep study was generated in the late 1950s, we know that uh, when we're sleeping, a lot of things happen. Uh, the brain repairs itself, it eliminates the waste products that we had all day long after hard work. Uh, it also increases your synapse, increases your, uh, your, your communication between your brain cells. It also replaces the memory, so it enhances memory, consolidates your memory. There are many, many stages of sleep. I'm not going uh, through details of sleep stages today because it would be too, too much. But uh, as you know, there are REM sleep, non-REM sleep, something like that. So if we have time or 
or you want to know in depth, uh, we can talk at another lecture about about uh, the science of sleep. That that can be another headline in in in, in people who want to really know real deep. Okay, now, not just the brain, it's about your whole body. Your heart rate uh, uh, decreases to, to rest your heart, to make your heart rest. Uh, your core body temperature slows down to reduce the metabolism of all, all, all cells in your body. Uh, in your, during sleep, your body also secretes cytokines, which is about your immune system. So sleep is also affecting your immune system directly. Uh, people who don't sleep well, it is believed that you're not believed, but it is proof that your cytokines or your immune uh, function uh, reduces more than half of its function if you don't sleep well for a period of time. So immunity is very important. Natural uh, killer cells, which is uh, the system or, or the production mainly is at night also. Natural killer cells are involved in, in, in controlling cancer risks. It's like killing some abnormal cells coming up that are just popping up in the early stages. So your immune system, your cancer surveillance system is affected if you don't have proper sleep. Uh, insulin, you know, insulin is about uh, sugar, right? Uh, people with diabetes, the insulin doesn't work well. Insulin uh, pushes your sugar in your bloodstream into your cells to maintain your blood level of sugar, not, not to keep it too high, to make it too high. Now, People who don't sleep well, insulin doesn't work that good. It cannot bring your sugar into the cells that much. So that means that you have a, a higher level of blood sugar. And if this is for long term, uh, it increases the risk of having diabetes type 2. Type 2 is uh, not, not from a genetic, not familial. Okay. Uh, leptin ghrelin that I mentioned here in the slides, is, they are hormones that uh, regulate your hunger. Leptin is produced from your adipose tissue, your fat cells, and tells your brain that, okay, you're full. You don't need to eat anymore. And this comes out uh, in the evening or before you go to bed to tell your brain that, okay, in the next eight hours or nine hours of sleep, seven hours, you should not be hungry. Ghrelin is opposite. Ghrelin uh, makes you feel hungry, makes you, you feel that you need to eat more. So there, there's a regulation, uh, regular control of ghrelin and, 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 and leptin in your system. Once you don't sleep well or you go to bed very late, this system is disturbed or is ruined. Uh, uh, leptin may not come out much and while you're staying awake, while you should be asleep, the ghrelin might be more activated and then it makes you hungry. That's why when you stay up late at night, you need snacks, right? You find something to eat and that increases your body weight. Uh, also that um, the metabolism of your fat uh, food, I mean, if you eat all day long and then at night, it takes another, uh, the next six hours to burn your fat that you have been eating all day or afternoon. So the best time for, for your, your, your digestive system to burn out the fat is maybe late at night, 11 or midnight, and then it starts a burning process. Because your gastrointestinal system uh, can work uh, one way at a time. That means the first one is digestion, right? It puts a, uh, its a intake of the food, but the burning part of this food happens later. So if you stay up late at night, ghrelin comes out, 
it switches on the, the, the ingestion or digestion uh, part of it. So it's not burning that well. So that's why your body weight increases if your sleep cycle is disturbed or wound. Okay. Now, uh, the last one is uh, just repairing. Uh, this is just like the brain. That is your muscles, your kidney, your liver, all parts of these uh, repaired, rebuilt during sleep time. So, so overall, it's, it involves all systems of your body, not just resting your brain or muscles, not like that. So this is a, a conclusion of, uh, or the summary of what uh, unhealthy sleep can cause. Cognitive impairment, this is straightforward, right? If you don't sleep well, your brain could not rest enough. The next day you feel moody, you feel slow, you feel that your attention is not that good, you cannot focus well. Uh, uh, mood, yeah, physical. Fatigue, straightforward as well, because you haven't rested that, that enough. Uh, uh, weight gain, I just mentioned already. Heart attack, diabetes, and uh, cancer risk uh, is also obvious in studies. In 2007, okay, talking about cancer, the, uh, 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 cancer, the World Cancer Organization just established uh, poor sleep or, or impaired circadian cycle. I'll talk about circadian later, but let's say sleep problems or shift, especially shift workers. Shift workers is another big group of people who, who, who have problems about sleep from their job, from their work. Uh, shift workers are regarded as a potential carcinogen. That means that people who, who who's not sleeping in regular cycle or shift workers, for example, have a, have a cancer risk higher than other people do, okay? Uh, there was a study in flight attendances. Uh, they found that flight attendances have a higher risk, especially uh, most of them are females, right? Okay, there, there's males as well, but most of them are females. Uh, they have a higher risk than normal population of reproductive cancer and also overall cancer. So that is one very interesting study. Another type of shift worker is, is firemen, firefighters. In the States, uh, uh, there are large studies of, uh, I think, uh, 30,000 uh, firefighters, and they found that the greatest cause of death or morbidity uh, in firefighters are heart attacks, which they try to uh, compare with normal people, other people with other words. The only factor is which are different, but they compare that with the same peers, the same uh, types of people in research. They found that sleep is a main difference between firefighters and normal population that, that, that increases the risk of heart attacks. So these studies show that shift workers, uh, which we know that sleep is disturbed for sure, uh, uh, the shift workers are, are causing some uh, health problems, or uh, even the lifespan. Uh, premature aging of cells. Uh, I think you've heard about this already, that uh, the lesser you sleep, the older you get, right? The, the wrinkles, everything else, because the repairing process doesn't have enough time to repair at night, okay? So when we talk about unhealthy sleep, there are two main issues. Insomnia. Uh, just like uh, Kiran said, that uh, insomnia is that you, you have difficulty falling asleep or maintaining sleep. Some people might be able to fall asleep, but you wake up a couple of times and find it difficult to fall asleep again. Uh, in elderly, uh, the sleep 
is quite fragmented. So, uh, I mean, the, the sleep control in the brain is, uh, gets, gets old. So it's not as perfect as when you were young. So it's possible that you, uh, when you're uh, in the mid fifties or sixties, uh, you might uh, wake up in the middle of the night from the room sleep cycle. But if you can fall asleep again within less than 15 minutes, that's quite okay. The point is that you must be able to fall asleep again. And another uh, very easy indicator to tell that you had a good night's sleep or not is, are you fresh when you wake up in the morning? That's a very, very simple indicator that you can, you can see by yourself. Because some people feel, feel that they, they sleep well, they sleep deep enough, but in the morning they're, they're not fresh at all. So that can be from a, a poor quality sleep. They felt that they can sleep well, but actually the, the sleep stages are not that appropriate. Which, okay, the devices, the sleep devices, watch, smartwatch, sometimes can tell about that. As I mentioned, there are sleep stages and each sleep has its own proportion. So we have to, to look at that as well. But in general, just see yourself in the morning whether uh, you feel fresh or not, okay, or moody. The, the second uh, type of unhealthy sleep is a circadian disturbance. Circadian disturbance is, uh, as I mentioned, shift workers or uh, jet lag or whatever that causes uh, shift, shifting of the sleep and wake cycle. Circadian means uh, day and night. So uh, usually uh, humans are made for uh, waking up in the morning, working at daytime and going to bed at night, right? Once this uh, cycle is shifted, then there's a problem. I'll talk a little bit about the circadian cycle, circadian rhythm. Um, I think there's another slide that is missing. Okay, it's okay. I'll talk without this before this one. That should be a circadian slide. It's okay. I'll just talk. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll talk about the circadian rhythm a little bit. Um, usually, um, the circadian rhythm in human uh, is controlled by two factors. The first one is your own brain control. I mean, regardless of light or whatever, if you're in a cave without light, without that, you, you don't know the time. Or you're, 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 you're in a submarine or something like that, and no one tells you the time. You don't have a watch, you don't have the sunlight, then your body can still adjust approximately 24 hours. Actually, it's 24 hours and 15 minutes. There are many researchers show that already in human. In animals, depends on, on, on which animal. Some, some animals are flies, fruit flies have about uh, uh, 23 hours and 45 minutes, something like that. Or rats, shorter than 24 hours. But in human, it's about uh, 24 hours plus 15 minutes. So if you, stay in a cave for several months. When you come out, your time may be shifting approximately 15 hours, uh, 15 minutes per night, okay? Um, so, so that's the internal, your internal control of the circadian rhythm. Now, uh, the external factors actually is even more important than your internal clock. That is uh, the light. 
the sunlight or the daylight here. Because we live in the world that, I mean, we have, we, we, we're in the social, right? We, we, we meet people, we have to work, we have to, uh, in old days, we have to hunt. So daylight is important that we, we, we can do our daily activities. So uh, daylight and also daylight coming up in the morning and then when it dims down early evening and then darkness at night, these two factors, the light and the dark, controls your circadian rhythm as well. We have uh, our eyes. Our eyes have a receptor of light. Uh, actually, it's the main, we call the master clock of our body. That is the, we call the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Forget about this long name. Let's call it SCN, suprachiasmatic nucleus. SCN is, uh, is a structure just behind your, your retina here. It's at your, your midbrain at uh, the, the hypothalamus uh, around your, your, your midbrain, your brainstem around that area. Uh, when, your, when your eyes perceive light, daylight, this, this CSN will uh, not allow melatonin to secrete. Uh, I, I guess you've heard about melatonin already, right? Um, it's a, quite a popular uh, uh, hormone in your body. Melatonin is a hormone that comes out at night to tell your brain that, hey, it's nighttime. It starts to, starts to secrete at about 7 or 8 p.m. and goes up slowly. And then uh, early morning, it goes down. Its peak, it will be around maybe midnight to 2 a.m. So melatonin is a sleep hormone. It makes your, it signals the brain that, okay, rest, go to bed, it's, it's bedtime. Now, the SCN that I mentioned, when, when, when it perceives light, it would uh, inhibit the secretion of melatonin. But once it's dark, okay, the SCN is not stimulated anymore or lesser, then the melatonin starts to secrete. So it, this is uh, the balance of the daytime and nighttime cycle. Daytime from light and nighttime when there's no light, melatonin makes your brain sleep. So this is a normal cycle. This is the importance that while you go to bed, one recommendation is turn off the lights. Maybe some dim lights, that's okay. But, but the main thing is that if you open your light in the room while you fall asleep, these lights can go, even you close your eyes, it can go through your eyelids and it can tell the SCN that, hey, there's still light. So don't secrete the, the melatonin, don't let the melatonin come out yet. So that's why when you open, when you turn on your lights during sleep, the sleep is not that deep, not that good enough. Okay, this is one main reason. We're going to talk about this at the end of this talk. That uh, what what are the recommendations or tips for good sleep? Okay. Now, uh, have you heard about blue lights? I mean, it's it's a big issue now, yeah, especially in the commercial market about blue screen or, or some coating of blue lights, not to let blue lights uh, affect your eyes. Now, how, what is blue light and how important is the blue light? Uh, the fact is that your eyes, when it perceives light, there are some special cells in your eyes, that in your retina, uh, maybe 5% of your retinal cells. We call melanopsin. Melanopsin is a uh, color perception of, of some lights. Uh, 
it, it doesn't mean that it's going to tell what color it is, but it perceives the light and then it sends further to your brain to signal something. Now, melanopsin is sensitive to blue light most. A second uh, sens uh, most sensitive of melanopsin is green light, orange light, but blue light is, is above all the lights that you can perceive. Blue light, actually, is it just this white light? When you have white light or daytime light or the uh, uh, fluorescent light, whatever light, then you feel that it's quite white, right? It's clear and white, but there are seven colors there. Your eyes, your melanopsin can separate these colors and it can pull out the blue light part from the white light and it can sense that, okay, there are blue light coming in. There is blue light coming in. Now, what does blue light do to your brain? Blue light tells that it's daytime. So your eyes are more sensitive to blue light and blue light tells your brain that, hey, it's daytime, be active. So if you perceive light at nighttime, the blue light is most sensitive and then it tells the brain to wake up. That's why we have to shut down the lights again. Now, more than that is that the blue lights from the screen is uh, you, you use uh, your, your phone at night, then the screen, you know, there's some light uh, projecting out as well. So it's even stronger than the lights here because it's close to your eyes, right? And blue light has another uh, problem is that in long term, it can damage your retinal cells more than other kinds of lights. So these are the reasons that why you should stay away from the screens at nighttime why you should shut down the lights, okay? Even the light in your room is not blue, but there's blue light in those white, white lights, okay? And um, uh, also uh, on the opposite, the orange and green light that I mentioned, it tells your brain that, hey, it's nighttime, you should rest. So green, orange or red light is quite okay. If you put a dim light on the, uh, the, the hallway, just in case you go to the bathroom at night and not to trip stuffing. So, so some green, orange, red light, but, but not too strong, okay? It's quite okay. Even bright uh, white light, but if it's not that, that much and not in your eyesight, that, that's still okay. So this is to clarify about blue light, that why is it so important? Okay, uh, now we're talking about uh, genes about the two gentlemen that I mentioned uh, at first, remember those two, the trip and partner, why they are different when they lack sleep. Now we, we can find a couple of genes that might regulate our sleep pattern. Actually, these are rare. I mean, mutation in these genes can cause some sleep problems, uh, some sleep, uh, let's say sleep habits, okay? I'm not going deep into this, but just to let you know that um, there are three types of, of genes here. Actually, there's more than this, but these are the main types. Natural short sleepers, the name of the genes are DEC2, ADRB1, which is quite rare. But if you have these genes, you're quite lucky. That means that you may sleep just four or five hours a night without having any health effect. So it's a kind of blessing. <laughs> so, but, but the problem is, when we sleep four or five hours and then we feel fresh, don't be biased that you're gonna have this gene all the time. But maybe because you're still young, you're still fresh and you can tolerate that. But if you do that for 10 years, 15 years, when you get older, then it would cause some effect that you have been sleeping very little for, 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 for a long time, right? So if you want to know this, 
we do genetic tests and we don't. So if you have that too, okay, you can feel happy that you're sleeping just five hours a night, but okay, nothing much to worry about. Okay. Now the other two uh, sleep uh, syndromes are advanced uh, phase and delayed sleep phase syndrome. Advanced phase is that you feel sleepy very early, maybe seven o'clock you fall asleep and you wake up at two in the morning, two or three in the morning. So in this group of people who have a who has a, a, a mutation in the PER2 gene, uh, uh, they might fall asleep very early. They cannot join any parties late at night, like just like Cinderella, they fall asleep right away. But if they have enough sleep, they will be fine. They can wake up a bit earlier than other people do, do their work at home and then go to the office, but they have to go home quite early. Otherwise they might be asleep during driving home if they go home at six or seven in the evening. So this, this, uh, this type of sleep is not affecting your daily life that much. But the delayed sleep phase syndrome, this is affecting quite a lot because uh, this is opposite to the advanced phase. This is that you can't fall asleep until it reaches one or two a.m. But if you have a full seven hour, eight hour sleep, that's fine for you. Your face is just shifted, that's all. But in real life right now, you know that we have to wake up six or five in the morning, right? So, and if you fall asleep at one or two, you can have only three or four hours sleep. So there's a problem at work for this group of people. They feel sleepy, their attention is not good because they don't have enough sleep, okay? So, so the problem is, is opposite to the advanced sleep phase syndrome. Now, uh, so now about insomnia. Uh, what can we do or uh, what can help? Or what are the tips? The first thing that if you see a, a, a doctor, the first thing is that uh, the doctor will talk about sleep hygiene. This is very uh, universal. I mean, it's the main thing. I mean, if you can adjust your lifestyle uh, that as the best without having to take any medications or any other interventions. So the first thing of sleep hygiene, actually sleep hygiene uh, has about maybe 15 or 18 things, but um, uh, I'll pinpoint on the, the most important ones, okay? The first one is you try to maintain a consistent sleep and wake time. Also that uh, when you wake up in the morning, I mean, keeping your sleep-wake time consistent. That means that you're setting your, your clock, your internal clock. And, and that is very good for you because your other system can rest at a, prop, uh, at a consistent time. So they can repair, they can uh, uh, detoxify themselves or whatever uh, at a certain time every day. And that's great. Now, another tip is that when you wake up in the morning, try to expose to sunlight or daylight at the same time every day. As when you wake up, because of the window, uh, or if you have a window near to your bed, just open the curtains and let your brain know that, okay, this is sunlight. So this is a blue light that I mentioned. So it triggers your brain to, to let your brain know that, okay, it's the starting of the day, okay? And at night, make your room dark, that's all, okay? The reason is the melatonin thing that I mentioned already, okay? Now, the next thing is, uh, is another common question that, how about exercise? You can see some fitness center, right? Uh, when you drive back home at 8 p.m., they're still running on the treadmill, right? Or doing weights or whatever in the clear windows that you see from the streets. Actually, that is not good for your sleep because 
Some people say that when you do uh, heavy exercises in the evening, it makes your brain and your body tired so you can sleep deep and you sleep early, uh, sleep easily, right? Actually, that is uh, just half true. Uh, your 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 body gets exhausted. Yes, your body needs a, needs rest at bedtime. But while you're doing those exercises, your brain is activated as well. So when you finish your exercise at nine p.m. or ten, and then you go to bed eleven, your body feels tired. Okay, you feel that you're going to fall asleep, but your brain was act just activated two hours ago before going to bed. So while your body is resting, is fatigued and down, your brain is activated. So you might fall asleep from the fatigue. You've been using your brain all day long. So your brain is also tired. Your body is tired. So you fall asleep. But while you're asleep, your brain is still active. So, so you can, you can uh, notice if someone is doing this already. In the morning, you're not that fresh in most people. So, uh, because your brain is still working while you're asleep, you might dream a lot, or you might wake up in the middle of the night, or even you felt that you sleep all night long. But in the morning, you might feel that it seems like you haven't slept at all, even you didn't wake up. So that means that uh, it's a poor quality sleep. So my advice is try to avoid uh, exercise uh, two, three hours before bedtime. So if you go to bed at 10, you should stop exercise within six or seven. Okay, that, 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 that's uh, my, my advice. Avoid caffeine late afternoon. I mean, after three o'clock, uh, if possible, avoid tea or coffee. That includes caffeine. Even decaf uh, coffee, yeah. Uh, it, decaf is not non-caf. That's still caffeine as well. So each people has different sensitivity to caffeine. So uh, it doesn't mean that decaf coffee Will, make, will not disturb your sleep, it still can. So just observe yourself that how much you can tolerate that. But anyhow, for caffeine, it's genetic as well. There are some genes that can eliminate your coffee level, your caffeine very fast, so it would not be accumulated in your body. Uh, for example, me, myself, I can drink two cups of coffee at bedtime and I can sleep well. And that's from my dad, my mom, I shared my genetic. Uh, my genes and I have a I'm a rapid metabolizer of caffeine so I can drink caffeine any time of the day but but don't follow me okay <laughs> this is seen in just some 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 people I'm x-men <laughs> okay okay uh, okay for this one I told you already that cool down your brain function to two three hours before going to bed not just exercise but uh, before going to bed not not uh, replying some uh, serious emails or planning for the planning for work on the next day or uh, have an argument with your spouse or something just cool yourself down don't do anything too stressful just to make your brain slow down so at bedtime uh, when you fall asleep when you go to bed it would be close to zero and that 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 would be perfect okay so and also in your bedroom if possible don't put a TV uh, there because uh, uh, it's not that good at all to watch TV until you fall asleep. Sometimes you fall asleep. Sometimes the TV falls asleep before us. So, so for the best, don't have any stimuli in your bedroom. Maybe light music is okay, okay, but not because for TV it's a light as well. It's a noise light, and also you have to focus on the content. So that activates your brain up again. As people say that 
your bedroom is just for two s two s's right sleep and you know the other s sleep and sleep <laughs> okay sleep and sex <laughs> okay now uh daytime nap this is another another uh, uh popular question that uh is it beneficial having daytime naps uh first firstly uh when when there were first humans on this world we believe that we have a two phase of sleep daytime and afternoon there was some reason we talk about that later if not later but next time as i said that if we want to know the scientific evidence of sleep uh the, the biphasic sleep or the the two time of sleep in human that's quite useful in humans uh in, in modern world right now in the mediterranean in greece in uh italy uh in some 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 cities there's still biphasic sleep some shops uh shut down in the afternoon after uh 1 p.m they just close and let their staff to have a sleep and then they open the store again at 5 p.m so because sometimes the reason is that the weather is very hot there so in the afternoon it's not nice to work sometimes but actually this is uh since uh ancient time but but from the lifestyle or work side right now it's quite difficult to have a biphasic uh, sleep like that anymore but anyhow a little nap might be useful it's not necessary that you must have naps but if you're going to have naps there are two rules the first one is not too long not too long means not more than maybe one hour or, or maximally uh, 90 minutes one and a half hour but usually i recommend 30 to 60 minutes because if you sleep too long you might be too deep in sleep and then you'll be groggy that afternoon and it might affect your bedtime sleep as well the second rule of daytime nap is that uh, it should be early afternoon not after 3 p.m so you should wake up before 3 p.m so the best nap is maybe 1 or 2 p.m okay after lunch something like that because even you're not having a nap but after lunch you feel sleepy as well right <laughs> anyway so so if you have a nap during that time the reason that not making it too late so it will not interfere the night sleep okay okay the next tip is uh, uh set a healthy sleep environment temperature cool down your room a little bit 21 22 23 celsius uh, that be great uh, but if you usually are 23 already so whatever the your regular temperature is in the room that you that you like go down one or two celsius more it, it cools down your body because it affects the blood flow or many things to make your body ready to go to bed uh, to fall asleep better uh, the noise no screen as i mentioned okay try to to set up a peaceful and, and an environment that is nice to fall asleep okay what is next okay now almost done <laughs> uh what can we do then if we still do those lifestyles those sleep hygiene tips but still it doesn't work and to be honest maybe half of them uh, half of the people uh, of the population sleep hygiene might not work that much because sometimes we cannot do all of those uh, right because uh the, type of our jobs we cannot rest our brain frequently sometimes we finish our work at 8 p.m go back home late have late dinner but, but sometimes we, we cannot do much about that because it's our must do routine 
So, uh, if you still have a problem, there are some treatments. I'm not talking about sleeping pills, okay? That's just fixing the short-term problem. So we're talking about what can we do? Are there other interventions or something that can help uh, other than just medications, just sleeping pills? The first one is, uh, this is a first choice if possible, that is a cognitive behavioral therapy. This is like a psychotherapy. You have a, a psychologist, who has trained in, in, in the sleep, uh, CBT, uh, to talk to you or help you relax. Maybe a one hour session weekly. And after six to eight weeks, usually the sleep is better. So this is a first recommendation that if it's possible, but to be honest, it's not easy to find a, a cognitive behavioral therapist, uh, especially in Thailand, but, uh, but we have we have some at Bumrah Hospital. <laughs> okay, just let me boast a little bit. <laughs> it's not that easy. I can tell that in Thailand there's no more than ten, eight or ten of of, of uh, psychologists who are specializing in, in in sleep cognitive behavioral therapy. So this is one thing that we can do. The second thing is uh, sleep supplement. Supplement is supplement, not medication. So no addiction. But on the other hand you don't expect that you take it and you're gonna fall asleep right away. It's gonna fix a quick fix or whatever, but because it's a supplement, which you know that when, when we talk about supplements, it's a long-term thing. It improves your sleep health slowly, gradually. Okay, some people might be very sensitive to this and it might take just two weeks or three weeks to feel that, hey, your sleep is better. But in many patients, it might take months together with the sleep hygiene and also other, other treatments, other pharmacological treatment as well. So sleep supplement is, is one thing that is very simple and uh, 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 can, can aid or can help your sleep and make your, especially these supplements, not just help your sleep, but the whole body because uh, supplements are supplements. It helps in many uh, organs in your body. But the one, for example, at, at, at Vital Life, we, we created a sleep supplement formula, which includes five or six ingredients that are very safe and uh, uh, has scientific evidence that it will support your sleep. Okay. I, I'm not going into details because uh, we don't have that much time. Ozone is another treatment that uh, promotes sleep. Uh, and it's, it's very well known about sleep. And also at daytime, it makes your brain fresh. Ozone is a gas that uh, in, in the nature, but uh, the ozone treatment, you cannot put gas into your body, into your, your uh, uh, breathing because it will damage your, your respiratory uh, system. So ozone that we're talking about is an intravenous ozone. You pull blood out of your body and then you put ozone into the blood and then put your own blood with ozone back into your body. Uh, at first, we can do it once a week or once in two weeks, and then for a couple of times when you feel that everything is improving, then you can do it maybe once uh, every month or every two months to boost it up. So ozone is an option that has proved that sleep, uh, it helps sleep for, for, for some degree. Uh, I'll go through this quickly because uh, these are electrical stimulation, for DCS, the direct current stimulation is very easy. You can find it in the internet. You can already use a, a 3A battery and then put a little clip on your ear and the uh, electricity runs in here. But to be honest, in my personal experience with my patients, it doesn't work that well. I mean, it's, 
it's, it's something that might help a little bit, but uh, I, I'm not convinced much. For TMS, it's uh, using magnetic stimulation. You need a machine at the hospital. This is another one that has a high, I mean, it's quite promising for inducing your brain function and also the sleep. Gut microbiome, this is another big issue. Gut microbiome is uh, your bacteria in your, in your intestines. And uh, we know now that your gut bacteria affects many conditions of your brain, such as migraine, Parkinson's disease, or sleep. Uh, some people call the leaky gut. When your bacteria is not in balance, a good and bad bacteria is not that, that balanced, it can leak into your bloodstream and then can cause some effect to your brain. We don't know the deep details yet, but what we know from studies, from scientific evidence is that it has some effect. So if we can control our gut microbiome, maybe with probiotics or, or check your stool to see the balance of your bacteria and then customize, treat with some bacteria that are good for your health, this can be another option to, to, to improve your sleep and brain function. Dark light therapy is helping about uh, sleep phase syndrome, advanced or, or delayed sleep phase syndrome, such as if you want to fall asleep earlier, you put it dark earlier, something like that. That's, uh, that's straightforward. And then mindfulness and meditation, of course, this helps in many conditions in your brain. Make your brain uh, has more attention, more peaceful, and uh, can you can control your brain better. Again, I'm not going through much of this. Okay, I think that should be all. So, uh, are there any, let's see, questions and answers? Um, yes, thank you, Dr. Kachai. Um, uh, if um, anyone has any questions, please type them into the Q&A box and I'll um, go through them one by one. Um, I have a question uh, already uh, okay. for myself. So, um, I think most of our listeners here today are, uh, live in Bangkok, um, which is you know, one of the largest, uh, busiest, and sometimes noisiest <laughs> cities in the world. Um, I live close to a BTS station, which is above a major road. And uh, other than the peaceful nights of, of lockdown, night curfew, you know, I hear the hum of traffic and sometimes maintenance crews beeping along and all these types of things. And um, you know, unless you have heavy curtains or thick windows, uh, I think these you know, the environmental stimuli uh, can affect your ability to sleep and you have no real control over it because you're living in a, a major city. Um, so, uh, and I looked up uh, some UN statistics and I think by 2050, two thirds of the world's population are going to be in an urban, a heavily urbanized area. So, mm -hmm. so how challenging is it to create an uh, optimum sleeping environment uh, in such heavily urbanized areas? And, you know, what are the, the tips to sort of mitigating these factors? Um, if you're living in a big city like most of us. Yeah, that, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, as you mentioned that uh, uh, what, what we can do is, okay, the first thing is if you're going to find a new place, such as you just moved here to Bangkok, or you're going to a new city, just, just explore uh, uh, where you should live best by looking at the environment. Don't live near a train station or the airport or some, somewhere that the noise is so loud. So that is the first thing, if you haven't bought your, your place yet. But if you're there already, so what you can do is fix your room. Because actually where we're living is just, I mean, where we're going to, to bed is just in your bedroom, right? So if necessary, you have to put the, uh, just like in the, a music studio, right? You put some noise, what do you call noise shield or protection soundproof 
uh, walls or something. If necessary, you might need to do that if you, it's, it's very noisy out there, but it might not help 100%, but at least somehow better. The lights you can control by yourself and also the air condition, as I said, that because the main thing is not just uh, uh, the light stimuli, so you can turn off the lights that, that you can control. The noise from outside, yeah, if necessary, you use this, or even use earplugs. But some people are annoyed with earplugs, but if you can use earplugs, you don't have to invest decorating the room with a soundproof walls, right? So there are many methods that, that, that you, can, you can adapt and, and see which is best for you. But again, in a big city, sometimes it's not that easy. <laughs> yes, sure. Yes. Um, I have a question from, from Ratna, which actually crosses over into something uh, I was thinking about as well. Um, and it's, you know, how can we clear our heads when, we, when we're going to sleep, when we're full of everyday problems to think about? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this is probably more relevant than, than ever before with, and you know, the last six months of uh, the coronavirus crisis, people are more yeah. worried about their own health, their family's health. They've yes. maybe lost their jobs or uh, they're worried about their future. Um, it can be, I think, quite overwhelming sometimes and people can literally, you know, stay up and keep up, keep themselves up at night thinking about all of these problems. Um, yes. now, how, how do we begin to face this? <laughs> Again, you always ask me questions. <laughs> Actually, yeah, uh, at, at the peak of the COVID uh, period, uh, I, I, I was having talks about this as a main topic that how could you relieve stress from this COVID period, from the problems that you mentioned about the job, the economic problems, or the, 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 the viral, uh, the, the COVID panic thing. Uh, these are, when, you, when things are in your mind, yeah, definitely it affects sleep because your brain is active all the time, thinking about this, about that. What we can do, there are two, three things that we can do as possible, but uh, it might not help 100%. But the first thing is that during your work at daytime, you should rest your brain every hour actually every 45 minutes. Let's say every 45 minutes, you have a five or 10 minute break. You walk, go to the toilet or have a glass of water or whatever. So forget your work on your desk for five or 10 minutes. That makes your brain, let's say when you work, your brain is going up like this, right? After one hour, two hours, three hours. But if you one hour and then you have a short break, a total break from everything, it goes down. And then when it goes down to this level in five minutes, you work another hour, it goes up like this, and then have another break, goes down. So it keeps the peak of your brain here, right? But if you work one hour, two hours, three hours, the, your brain will be here, right? So the problem is when in the evening, when you go back home, uh, we should slow down our brain, right? Before, before bedtime. In the evening, having dinner, talking with the family, it goes down and down. And the ideal is that it reaches zero when you fall asleep, so your brain rests fully. Now, if your brain is up here, because you don't have daytime breaks, it goes down, it takes time until you go down here. So by the time that you're, you're in bed, your brain is still up here, somehow, somewhere here, not, not close to zero. So you fall asleep from your fatigue and your brain is still working, or you might not fall asleep at all because your brain is still active. But if you do, as I said, your brain is, would be just this high. So it goes down to zero much more easier than up here. So daytime breaks can help about bedtime sleep as well. This is the first thing that you can do. The second thing is, as I mentioned in the slide, that uh, uh, you should cool down your brain not doing, I mean, not doing uh, uh, work, replying emails or thinking about this and that uh, after evening. So it makes your brain cool down. Now, 
other things that can help is if you're interested in mindfulness, if you don't have time for a full meditation, mindfulness is very simple. It's about being on the present. Uh, you can find more information. You can Google or read. Mindfulness has shown in, uh, it has scientific evidence that it helps a lot about making your brain more peaceful, can cope to many, many situations much more better than normal. So mindfulness is another advice of mine. Another thing that, that we, we, we uh, neglect that is drinking water. I haven't put it in my slide here, I'm sorry. But water is very important. When you get dehydrated, you don't drink enough water for the whole day. The, the, the blood flow to the brain, I mean, the flow has a higher viscosity. It cannot flow into small areas of the, the, the vessels easily, which can make your brain exhausted easily. So hydration is very important. Two, three liters of water per day. That, that can help about the flow to the brain. And it, another additional part for the brain health. Okay? Now, finally, if you do all these, and then you feel very stressful at night still, especially if you realize that it's a true stress, you can't stop thinking about the COVID, can't stop thinking about your economic crisis when you work from home or, or laid out or whatever. In that case, if you do everything and it's still in your mind, you might, it's, it might be time that you need to see a psychiatrist or psychologist to help. So finally, um, maybe you might reach that, that level if the stress amount is enormous. But we can do it step by step. Do it by yourself first. If it doesn't work, okay, then go for it. Okay, I think that, that may answer uh, the next question that popped up, which is kind of, um, you know, if you're still following the, the proper sleeping cycle and getting the sniff, the, uh, the right amount of hours and you're following all of the, the tips that you provided and you're still feeling unfresh and maybe have a headache, um, is, this is the point where you need to see a doctor, right? Or, or where you should yes. consider seeing a, a specialist? Yes, actually, uh, another little advice is that um, if, uh, if you feel that your stress is not that bad, you're not depressed, you're not that anxious, but you still cannot sleep, uh, uh, there are some first step screening. Uh, at, at Vital Life, we, we have a sleep program that we screen for everything. We screen as a questionnaire, we screen your blood test. Some people cannot sleep due to hormone problems to micronutrients or lack of some vitamins or even some genetic thing, the one that I mentioned. So if you feel, okay, if you're uh, significantly stressful, you, you realize that you're very depressed, then okay, you might see a doctor right away, a psychiatrist right away or neurologist right away. But if you feel that you're not that bad, but still you cannot sleep or your brain is busy all the time, but not that stressful, Maybe we can screen for something before before going to, to, to that part of the psychiatrist or whatever. So because, for example, just like I mentioned, we can screen the gut microbiome to see the bacteria, whether there's a lot of imbalance there or not. We can do the genetic test. We can do, but genetic is another just an option because it's not that, that common. But, but we have that in a screening part as well. And we can do the non-pharmacological things that, that I've mentioned. So. What you do is that after we screen for everything, if we see some cost, we'll fix that. If not, then we'll talk or discuss that what options or what interventions that, that we have that might uh, help your sleep. Right, okay. Um, I have a, a question about technology. Okay. Um, so technology may be uh, causing us more problems with uh, smartphones and, and devices that are on all the time and, and uh, street lights and everything like that. Um, 
but with modern advances in wearable technologies uh, that have become more affordable in the last couple of years, you know, the mm -hmm. iWatch and all, all these types of things, um, more and more people are tracking their sleep. So just how useful are these apps to the people who use them? And can you tell us about how they work or, you know, what should you look out for with the data that they um, detect? Okay, so uh, the apps would show, show the stages of sleep. When, when we sleep, okay, I, I put it briefly, okay. Uh, when you fall asleep, there are two types of sleep. We call them non-REM sleep and REM sleep. REM, R-E-M. REM is from rapid uh, eye movement. Rapid eye movement is when you fall asleep, your eyes roll around. Rapid eye movement is a part of sleep that your brain works like you're awake. Everything is functioning like, if you do the, the brain wave, you will see that it's almost like a waking person, but actually you're asleep. That part, that's why we have vivid dreams. We, we dream a lot and that, in that REM sleep. REM sleep is helping about, uh, helping our brain function quite a lot. Now, uh, usually the cycle goes down like this. The non-REM, uh, when you fall asleep, is a light sleep first, right? So we call non-REM uh, stage one, stage two, and then it's deep sleep. So it goes down to stage three, four, some people, some, some uh, organizations are just three, but okay, let's say one, two are deep sleep, uh, light sleep, and then three, four are deep sleep, and then it's REM. So it goes down like this. And then one cycle of this, it takes about 90 to, to 110 minutes. So let's say one and a half hour or more per cycle. And then after REM, it goes up again to deep sleep, light sleep, and then curves up and down like this. The whole night would, should, should consist of about four or five cycles at least, right? So because one and a half hour, five cycles would be about seven, eight hours sleep. Now, the difference is that uh, the proportion of each part of your sleep. So for REM sleep, it would be best if you have it about 25% of your whole night's sleep, the REM sleep, but okay, 20 is okay. In some devices in, in, in the app, it might say, okay, REM sleep can be 15 to 25, but actually I would recommend 20 to 25. It depends on what they say. But uh, deep sleep, maybe, maybe 30, 40%, that, that's great enough. Uh, because most of the sleep, most people are, are the light sleep. So it goes up and down like this. Um, now, another key point is at the early stage of sleep, the deep sleep is more. Now, when you go to before early morning, the deep sleep is lesser and lesser, but the REM sleep should be more and more. So, so, so that means that early sleep, deep sleep is quite a lot, and then face down uh, while you reach morning. REM sleep is opposite. It's very short at first, and then uh, gets wider and wider, and most before you wake up. That's why when you dream of something exciting or very clear, vivid dreams, usually it's early morning. And then you wake up from the alarm or whatever. So that is a REM part of your sleep. If you have uh, someone with you near, uh, uh, next, next to you, they can observe that your eyes are rolling behind your eyelids during the REM sleep. So these are the stages of sleep. So what you need to notice in your, in your device is look at the pattern. So the percentage of pattern, do you have enough REM sleep each night? Do you have enough deep sleep each night? Uh, and also that uh, the hours of sleep, as I said, that uh, the perfect number is seven. But okay, six and a half is quite acceptable. But if, if lesser than six is, 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 is not acceptable, it could affect your general health. 
So overall, we look at this in, in your device. Interesting. Um, I have a question uh, about, uh, again, from Ratna. Is reading before bedtime a good thing to do? Um, and I also heard on a, a different podcast, uh, which is about football, but they said um, reading is not ideal, but a puzzle is because it engages your brain slightly less, but is enough to make you a bit tired. Is that, is that true or is that rubbish? Yeah. You know, reading is still a controversial issue. Reading uh, when you're going to fall asleep, right? Uh, just as you mentioned, because uh, it has both, both good sides and uh, bad sides. The good side is that, okay, reading is softer than the TV. There's no uh, light projecting out to your eyes that much. Uh, and it's something soft, not so emotional as a TV that we see pictures, we see actions there. Uh, so it's like a soft, just like listening to soft music. But the bad part is that somehow it's like, you need light when you read, right? So that's some part of blue light there as well. And also when, when you read, you need to use your eyes. So your eyes have been used all day long and then it starts to strain at that time of the night and then you have to focus on the letters as well. So what I recommend is that if you want to read just for a short period of time and, and nothing too emotional from the reading, don't read dramas that are so sad or you have to follow up uh, Sherlock Holmes or something that you need to, to use your brain to think a lot of things, just some soft reading, uh, that, that, that might still be okay. Because some, some centers still recommend reading a little bit, light reading, they use the word light reading before going to bed, it's acceptable. But some institutes say that, okay, you should avoid reading. So I think it depends, it depends. That if reading and you compare yourself without reading, which one is better for your sleep? Because it should be an individual uh, response. Okay. Fantastic. Um, I have one final question and then uh, I think we'll bring the session to a close. Um, in your introduction, uh, in part of the wellness uh, center, you focus on Alzheimer's disease, I think. So um, my, my question really is, uh, what can you tell us about the relationship between sleep and Alzheimer's and, and how does understanding the science of sleep help with the fight against Alzheimer's disease? Okay, very good question again. <laughs> okay, so there are both ways. Uh, the first one is uh, in Alzheimer's, you know, that uh, everything is degenerated. So also the sleep pattern, also the suprachiasmatic nucleus, you remember the first one, the, the body clock, the sen sensory part uh, of your hypothalamus that perceives light. So that's why in people with Alzheimer's, they, their, their sleep-wake cycle is disturbed, obviously. The more advanced of Alzheimer's, the sleep-wake cycle is disrupted. I mean, some people think nighttime is daytime plus okay that's the brain disorientation as well but also the light cannot help about that about controlling your per perception of day and night so uh, the system is ruined from the degeneration of the brain from Alzheimer's that, that's for sure now on the other way around uh, if you don't sleep well there are some studies that shows that it might be a, a precipitating cause of having Alzheimer's. We don't believe that you have a poor sleep and this is going to cause Alzheimer's, but it might make the Alzheimer's, I mean, you're going to have Alzheimer's anyway, but if you have a bad sleep, it might happen a bit earlier or a bit more severe or progress, uh, get worse, deteriorate faster, something like that, because there are some mechanisms, especially related with the melatonin. Melatonin is, is, is known that it's an uh, antioxidant, it improves inflammation, it, it 
uh, has an anti-aging effect as well. Now, for relationship with Alzheimer's is that uh, uh, the anti-inflammatory uh, property of the melatonin. If you don't sleep well, you have lesser melatonin, right? Or when you get older, you have lesser melatonin anyway. When you have lesser melatonin, the inflammation might, might flare up more. The inflammation that I mentioned is a self-inflammation uh, from toxic metabolites in your brain, which is believed that these toxic metabolites might have some role in producing the, we call the beta amyloid protein, which is one hallmark of Alzheimer's disease. So to make it simple is when you, when your melatonin is not that uh, much enough, it cannot suppress some internal inflammatory process. And that inflammatory process might have some relationship with the cause of Alzheimer's because beta amyloid is believed that it's from the inflammatory process of the metabolism in your, in your brain. Ah, that was really interesting. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Um, a very, very quick last question, um, just in case people want to find out more about this topic, mm -hmm. um, but insomnia or the science of sleep, do you have any books or reading material or, or websites that are, people can, can uh, learn more about this? I, I have a very nice book, two books, let's say, uh, two books that you can, uh, if you're interested. The first one is very simple and uh, I think it's fun to read. Many of my talks today, I, I got it, the information from that book. Uh, it's called uh, Why We Sleep, a very, very famous one. Uh, the author is, um, I can't remember the author's name, but it's, it, it was written uh, not so long ago, but I think the first edition was quite long. Let, yeah, you can search Why We Sleep, a very famous one, popular one. Uh, the second one is a bit more, a little more academic and, and a bit more difficult to read, but it's, it's very interesting. There's many inf interesting informations there. It's called uh, the Circadian Code. Cir Circadian Code. Okay, why, thank you. Why we sleep? Yeah, Matthew Walker. Yeah, Matthew Walker, oh, okay. why we sleep. And the other one is circadian code is Dr. Panda or something. Yeah, I think he's, he's, he's Indian. Dr. Satyan or something, Panda. Yeah. Okay, think yeah. great, I think. Uh, 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 it's called circadian code, a uh, uh, thick book, but uh, a lot of scientific information in there. Oh, fantastic. I think uh, Why We Sleep was on, uh, Bill Gates has a, a reading list um, that he puts out and I think this book was on his on his sort of in his reading manuals, yeah, so uh, a fun reading. Like yeah, I have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> thank you all very much. You're very welcome. Uh, I really appreciate your time and such an interesting subject. I think we could do another hour of Q and A's, but um, everyone has <laughs> their schedules to stick to, and we can't stay up late. So, uh, um, so basically, thank you very much for all your questions. You're very welcome. Well, thank you for yeah, having me. And um, yeah, I, I just. Say thank you to the British Chamber staff as well for supporting the uh, the webinar and coordinating these events and for everyone watching at home. Um, we send out a post-webinar survey. Please do fill this in so we can understand what you like and dislike about how we present the webinars and we can put on topics that you will enjoy in the future. And check out the British Chamber website for the future events coming up, both virtual and uh, physical events that we're starting again soon. Um, and give the young professionals a follow on, on LinkedIn and Facebook. So. Thank you again, Dr. Ketchai. Really You're appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.